you again for loving us, for being with us, speaking to us already. And Lord, we just ask God that you would continue to open up our hearts for this week. Look into the Word of God that you would make it come alive. I thank you that, that uh, it says that the Word of God is alive and powerful. Or that it is a, it's more than just written words. It's a, it's, a, it's a living document authored by you, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And it gives us life. And I pray, God, that more than just in our minds, that more than just hearing it, Lord God, that it would affect and transform our hearts. Become more and more like Jesus. And say things in your name. Amen. So we've been in this series called The End of Me. Um, if you're new with us, or if you're visiting, and uh, we, we've been tracking along, um, talking about the idea of coming to the end of ourselves so that real life can be lived in and through us. But being a part of the kingdom of God, being a Christ follower, following Jesus, the kingdom that He ushered, the teachings that He ushered, when He showed up and He's telling us who God is, that He was the bridge to God and He came to reconcile the relationship to God that had been broken by sin. Jesus comes in on the scene and He's born in a humble place and He grows up and it's interesting that He started ministry at 30 years old and He had this kid in time. Jim talked about uh, when he was 12, and that snapshot that we see of him when he's 12, but other than that, we don't know much about him um, except from his birth, and then he starts ministry, and he's ushering in what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, and he teaches us, and this kingdom is a counterintuitive kind of countercultural kingdom, and Jesus even, uh, through it all, is saying, when you come to the end of yourself, you will find that you are uh, the life that you were meant to live. And that was the, the whole crux of the teaching. That is the whole theme behind this series that we're doing is coming to the end of ourselves so that Christ can live in and through us. This core foundation of what it means to live to Christ and live in His kingdom. And so we've been talking about these paradoxes. To, you know, to truly live, you must die. And a paradox simply is an absurd statement. It sounds a little bit crazy when you say it, but when you dig in and you find out the heartbeat behind it, 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 it rings true. And, and Jesus would teach that way. The Sermon on the Mount coming right out, he, he taught in, in sometimes in paradoxes, and the way he would um, reveal the kingdom was in paradoxes. To, to truly live, you must die. And we've been talking about these paradoxes. To be whole, you must be broken. It sounds a little bit crazy, but it's coming to the end of yourself and realizing that you need him. To be strong, you must be weak. We talked about that one one way. To be happy, you must mourn. We talked about last week. And here's the key passage for this series. We're looking at this week after week. I pray in my heart. My encouragement is that you get this passage in your heart. Um, so go to the next slide and uh, look. This is from Luke. Jesus says this, and he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, this invitation to whoever, you and I are among the whoever. If you want to be his follower, there's some conditions. Right? He didn't say you know, that, that you just have to want to. He said you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. For whoever wants to save your life will lose it. He's a paradox. He says, if you want to save your life, you will lose it. But whoever loses your life for me will save it. In other words, Jesus has come. Remember what Jesus said about himself in John 10. He said, I have come that you might have life. What kind of life? To the fullest, abundant life. 
Not that this world can give, not temporary pleasures, not temporary sinful things. The Bible even teaches us that sin is enjoyable for a time, but it leads to destruction, it leads to the influence of it, leads you to wanting something else, and that ultimately leaves you in a place of spiritual death. And Jesus said, I'll come to give you life. He says, I want you to have a life that you were meant to live. And here's the thing, you have to die to yourself so that you can find true life. So today's treatment is called, to be more, you must become less. The paradox, to be more, you, you must become less. We're going to actually do a character study today um, on a man named John the Baptist. It's uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And see what his story teaches us, what his story tells us. And uh, you will come to find out that his story becomes our story. And that what we can learn about, I think, why he was here and the purpose for which he was here. You will see the correlation between his ministry and our ministry. To be more, you must become less. We live in a culture, again, this, is, this, this paradox is countercultural. We live in a culture that feeds the idea that we are the center of the universe, right? All advertising is around that. It's about what you must have to be happy in life, right? That's how, that's how they get us. That's how they catch us. Advertising, they, they, they're brilliant in how they do this. It's, Whatever, this, this, this item or this plan or this whatever is, you will not truly be happy, you will not truly be fulfilled unless you have this product. Don't you love those things? You can't live without it. Remember the home shopping network? Does that still exist? Some of you have to pick your head, and that was funny because I just got it. Um, you know, people that know that it just watch it. Um, I used to watch that too. It's like, and they make you feel like that you cannot live without this item. And it was 1995 for sticking your hand. You know, I remember that. Oh, it's 1995 for whatever reason. And so the culture makes you the center of the universe. Life is about you. It's about your happiness. It's about your fulfillment. It's about you becoming more. And so. If we're not careful, and, and, and again, guys, this is not just the world. This can bleed into the church where we can begin to live for ourselves. Then the idea is we promote ourselves. We proclaim ourselves. We want to be seen. We want to be elevated. We, we deserve it. You deserve it. Right? And that's the culture of advertising is you deserve this. And it's about you. You need you time. Not to say that you don't need new time every now and again, but when it becomes this encompassing thing of, of that you become the center of your universe, and I've talked about this before, and I'll just uh, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, um, I, I, I grew up, I had a lot of insecurities in my life. I shared with our men on Wednesday night. I'm not going to get into all of that, but my mom's family was quite a lot of things that happened in her life, and. A lot of things have happened, um, you know, in my dad's life. And, and growing up, I, I, I just was like a very insecure kid. I was very insecure. And so what happens is that, that later on, and some of you guys can track along with this, and what, it makes, what, what it makes you begin to do is that you want to please everyone and become you please people and become man-pleaser and, and people-pleasers. And you walk in the fear of man as opposed to the fear of the Lord. And all that insecurity is to promote you and you want to be seen. And so I, I was a lot like that. I had a 
horrible thing of man pleasing, or one that pleases everyone. I hated letting people down. And then God called me to be a pastor. It's like, oh, only God could do that. That's almost like a, a joke in itself. But notice me. I would, I would do things for the wrong reason. To be noticed, to be seen, to be patted on the back. And, you know, the motivation is to do things that is, is in hope to be seen, to be noticed. And this is not far off again. We can get that way spiritually. Remember what Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for? He, you know, he, he talked to them and he, he called them out because even in a religious sense, he said they, they love to walk through the street with their flowing robes and you know, they had the, the, these things called phylacteries that they would wear on their head and it literally contained scriptures from the law. And so they'd be so close to the law. And it says they love being called teacher and rabbi. And sometimes they would get in the most prominent places, you know, I can't, prominent places in the town square and they would be up to elevated and they would pray these flowery, fluffy prayers and people would just walk by and go, you guys are amazing. And they loved it. You do it for the praise of men instead of the praise and the honor from God. It's like the photo op, you know, they're, they're like doing things for the serving people and like make sure you get the camera and you know, bam, Facebook, newspaper, I'm there. Not that they have Facebook, but maybe they did. Something different. Like face tore up. And so they did it for the wrong reasons. They did a photo op to serve the poor, to be seen. They would give, they would make a loud kind of almost emotion of, I'm giving this. And, you know, there's Jesus even told the story about the two men that went in the temple to pray, and the one was just like speaking out his resume to God as if God didn't know what he was doing. And Lord, I thank you that I tithe and I give to the poor, and thank you that I pray and I fast and even thank you that I'm better than that guy over there. There was this top selector in there with him and he was like, thank you that I, thank you God that you've made me better than him. If you're wondering, that's, that's a problem. This is to be seen of men, to be honored of men, to be, try to be, promote yourself and this happened and Jesus called them out. Some of it you read and it sounds funny, but it's almost tragically sad. Because two major keys to the kingdom of God to understanding on it, when, again, when Jesus taught and the kingdom that he was ushering in, and, and, and two things that he hammered on a lot were humility and hiddenness. Jesus said, don't do your deeds before people to be seen. Now he said, let your life stand before men. Again, there's a right motivation. Jesus even said when there's a banqueting table, he could stay in the, in the back of the hidden places and be invited to the front as opposed to running up to the front and being asked later on in kind of an embarrassed way of, that's not your seat. You need to go back. And so Jesus said he sees to understanding his heart. That's why he can, even in how he came, that silent night where we celebrate baby Jesus, he's hidden, right? We would think that God is that the Savior of the universe is being born and there was an announcement, there was a star, and there was angels, but most of the world missed out on this. And there was a purpose that he was born in a barn. And he was raised kind of hidden away from things as opposed to being promoted for the wrong reasons. And ultimately, he is to be promoted, but there was even a way he came in. 
and humility and serving. And now there's true humility and there's false humility. False humility kind of masks itself like, well, I'm just a good for nothing and this kind of self-loathing. That's not, that's not humility. I heard a quote one time that says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Isn't that good? Very good definition. True humility is that I, I'm living for the audience of one. I want to be seen by God instead of my motivation of being seen by man. It's the motivation again for why we do what we do. And so we're going to look at this and unpack this life and ministry of John Baptist. I could do a whole sermon series on John Baptist. There's a lot there. I'm just going to skip highlights of his life. We're going to do a little character study today in this idea of to be more, you become less. Because he's an integral part of Jesus' story, right? He's Jesus' cousin. He's related to him. We have the story before Jesus is born, before the angel uh, Gabriel comes to Mary, and all of the Christian stories are down. We actually it, there's a there's a pre-story, if you will, with John the Baptist and his parents Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah, if you read the story, you read the story of Luke chapter one. Zechariah comes in, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's a priest, it's his turn in the temple, he goes into the temple to meet with the Lord to offer the prayers on behalf of the people, and then the angel Gabriel speaks to him and says, you're going to have a son. And so he and his wife are very old, they're, they're past age-bearing, uh, they're, they're past uh, the age where they could bear children, and so they couldn't have children, and he is like, whoa, what's going on here? He meets the angel, and the angel says, you're going to have a son. And basically, my translation is basically saying, no, we're not. And you don't say that to an angel of the Lord, okay? Just so you know. If an angel of the Lord speaks to you, And so the angel says, well, since you didn't believe me, you're going to be mute until the baby's born. So the Zechariah didn't speak. You know, that's kind of what happens when you start disagreeing with God. Um, not that I'll make you mute, but maybe. And so that's kind of the setup, is, is the backstory, and here's what happens. You know, um, Elizabeth gets pregnant in her old age, and they're celebrating, and it's uh, phenomenal. It's a blessing. The baby's born. Everybody's saying, name him after the dad. Zechariah was his name, and, uh, and, and, and Elizabeth says, what should his name be? And Zechariah said, if he speak, he writes his name, will be John. So if he writes it down, he can speak, and he begins to worship God. But John the Baptist is very much an integral part of the story of Jesus. He had a specific ministry, a specific calling. And so, again, there's nothing there by accident. But why is he there? What can we learn from his life? Why is this such a part? You, you know, at Christmas time, we usually you know, read that Luke 2 and, you know, and Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. But if you think back before, there was something about why, the, why John the Baptist was there. And I believe it's because his ministry is a foreshadowing of our ministry. And I believe that when we unpack scripture, we're going to see that. So, give you the backstory back around the list of it. Okay, we're going to look and see. So, now he writes his name is John, his mouth opens, and this is what he says about his son. Look at this. Zechariah begins to prophesy, said, You, my little son, listen to what he says about him. You will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will, what, prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. 
Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light in heaven is about to break upon us. And he's talking about who Jesus is too. To give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide us to the path of peace. And so Zechariah is prophesying over what John will do and then who Jesus is. Do you see what John's mission is? Doesn't that sound like the gospel? Because it is. My little son, you are going to proclaim the gospel in the first sense when Jesus comes into ministry. So he's born a few months before Jesus. And then they grow up together. We don't know if they were close. We don't know what this again, we don't know a lot of the backstory there. But he's there when Jesus begins his ministry. And here's what his dad says about him. You are going to prepare the way of the Lord. You're going to prepare the way for Jesus to come. You'll tell people how to find salvation through forgiveness of sin because the light is about to break upon, upon us. And he's talking about who Jesus is. So this is very cool. And so this was his mission. This is our mission of followers of Jesus. And so we're going to look at what John did and then what we are called to do. So number one, let's go to the next slide, is he came to proclaim him, right? He came to proclaim Jesus. And so here's the scripture, John 1. We're going to look and dig a little bit. God sent a man, John the Baptist. Okay, so we're fast-forwarding. Everybody tracking along? We're fast-forwarding. Jesus is about to start his public ministry. John the Baptist is there. He's baptizing people. He's, he's, he's kind of a, a wild-looking guy. He's got you know, a big beard. He wears camel hair. He eats locusts and wild honey. I mean, this is, he's kind of off the wall. And we as believers, we're a little bit off the wall, too. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of the test of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. So John writes, that the, you know, the author John is the disciple John, that's writing about all that's going on. And he's talking about John the Baptist, that God is sending him to proclaim who Jesus is. And so then the proclamation of verse 15, John testified as a proclaimer about him where he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Isn't that cool? John is about six months older than Jesus, yet he is saying about Jesus, he, he existed way before me. And so he's proclaiming that Jesus is God. He said he was there at the foundation of the earth. He was there upon creation. And I'm, he was greater than me, and he, he is the one that I am proclaiming about. And then further the proclamation, so let's go to the next slide, verse 29. So the next day, he sees him. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, who existed long before me. There again, he says it again. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was proclaiming, Jesus, uh, Jesus was coming. God said, this is your mission, John, is to proclaim Jesus when he comes on the scene. There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His testimony. 
he saw him. And then verse 35, the following day, so the day after, again he was standing with two of his disciples. So John Baptist had these guys that were following him. That's why he told him, I'm not the light, because people were kind of wondering who he was. There was, there was kind of this, a prophet break between the Old and New Testament of that period of about 400 years where almost they become the silent years. And so there was, you know, you had Malachi, the end of the Old Testament prophets, and then there was this period of time, and then all of a sudden on the scene comes a new prophet named John the Baptist. And so people were saying, hey, we have prophets again. But this prophet was going to be way more, way different than any other prophet. I mean, the other prophets in the Old Testament they did speak of the Messiah to come. But here was the prophet. He was going to be right there with Jesus and say, here's who he is. So the following day, John standing with his disciples, as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and he declared, he proclaimed, look, there is the Lamb of God. Listen to this. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Isn't that cool? His proclamation caused the people around him to want to follow Jesus. Our calling like John is to proclaim who Jesus is with our words and with our actions. We should live to proclaim Him, that we live to proclaim Him to our world, that we would say with our words and our actions, look, He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our hope is that, that people in our spirit influence, like John, those two disciples, that when we live it out and we proclaim He is the Lamb of God, He's the one, He's the light of the world, He is the way to salvation, that the people in our sphere of influence would want to follow Him. Tracking along with me. What a powerful ministry. There's the Lamb of God. Do we proclaim Jesus in that way? Do we point people, He is the Lamb of God. He is what you need. You don't need me. You need Him. We should live to reflect Him and to point people to Him. There's a purpose, again, for our lives, uh, that God has for our lives. Um, and, and but it's not to draw people to ourselves, but it's to maybe draw people into a relationship so that then we can point them to Him forever. And we do it in our friendships, we do it in our families. That He's the true light that gets people out of darkness. The church's job is to proclaim Jesus in His Word, that He's the only way to salvation. He is the light that will get us out of the darkness that we are in. He's the only way that we have forgiveness of sins, and that world desperately needs to hear that right now. There are not many paths, many roads to heaven. It is Jesus Christ. That is why we have the cross. That is why you have this declaration, this proclamation that He came. He is the only way to salvation. And just like them, it was not a popular message then, and people rejected it. And they might reject it now, but we are, our job is to proclaim Him. He's the only way that we have forgiveness. So John lived to proclaim him. Number two, John lived to promote him. He would promote him. And the Pharisees, who had been sent, they, they, these guys are getting a little uncomfortable with what's going on. They, Pharisees had been sent asking, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? He was baptizing people. John told them, I baptize with water. Right here in the crowd, someone you do not even recognize. And so Jesus had been among them. And he said, he's been here and you don't even recognize him. 
I baptized with water the rain of God. Someone who's not recognized. Through his, through his ministry, follows mine. I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the strap of the sandals. So he was there to promote. They, they, you know, they were trying to go, why are you doing it? He's trying to hear to promote him. And it's, a, it's this act of humility to understand he is the Messiah. He is who we've been looking for. My work to point people to him, not me. John lived to promote Jesus, not himself. And here's listen to this, this mini-sermon of, uh, that, that, uh, that John preached about Jesus and why he came from John 3. So, a little further, he says, You yourself know how I plainly told you I'm not the Messiah. Because again, here's a new prophet in town. There have been about a 400 year break. So, there was a lot of people that thought maybe he's the Messiah. He said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend, or like in our vernacular, is the best man. It's simply glad to stand with him and hear his vow. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become what? Less and less. Next slide. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are here of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how he believes what he tells him. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. Verse 34, next one. For he is sent by God, and he's saying this as Jesus. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit of that limit. The Father loves His Son and has put everything into His hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. He's preaching the truth here, right? He's preaching the truth of who Christ is. He is greater than anyone. He came from above. We are on the earth and we see things from our earthly perspective. He was sent by God and He is here as the Savior of the world. And if you believe in Him, you will have life. If you give your life to Him, you will have life. If not, you will stand in God's judgment because God has made a way and you have rejected it. And He preaches this message. Isn't this cool? This message is the gospel that John is preaching about Jesus. And He even talks about it gives us wedding the kind of because one of Jesus' name is the bridegroom. The wedding was not a, it, 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 it's about the groom, not the best man. Right? And that's what John is saying. They were trying to promote John. And he said it, this, this whole idea of, of Jesus being the bridegroom and the church being the bride of Christ, he said, it's about the groom. It's not about me. I'm the best man. I'm, I'm glad to be there when he shows up. I'm glad to testify of him and, and stand with him. <clears throat> but it isn't about me. He must become greater. I must become less. That was his calling. That is our calling. Promote Jesus. Sultan says you should become more and more. Promoting yourself. The King of Jesus says if you want to truly become more, you want to accomplish more, you want to do more, you become less because Jesus is free. And you are hidden. That's why when Jesus taught, he said, when you do things in secret and hiddenness, when you give, when you serve, when you love, he said, My Father in heaven, he sees what you've done in secret. In other words, there is an audience that's paying attention to what you do. And again, the temptation, right, was when we do I wish somebody would notice. I wish somebody would pay attention to what I'm doing, right? Sometimes you get frustrated because we maybe do things for the wrong motivation. That's why some people are driven to good works and 
and, and people look at them and they go, man, they are so, wow, they just are such a servant. And uh, that's great. What is your motivation? And sometimes it's because there's some insecurity and you want to be noticed and you want to be somebody to pay attention to us. And Jesus said, don't do it for that. Yes, serve and love. That's what Jesus said, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. There's a hiddenness to our works. But he says this, you need to know something. When you do something out of a pure heart, my Father sees. He is an audience that is paying attention to you. And your reward is with him. John says he's greater than anyone else. We speak and see what he thinks, but he comes from heaven. He's the greatest. He's sent by God. Again, those who believe, that's a, that's a, that, that, that believe is more than just a head believe. It is a, I put my hope and my trust in and convinced of Him where it changes my life and I'm completely surrendered to Him. So he's very clear what he's saying. He's promoting Jesus in the gospel. And so we promote the same way. We walk in humility. We promote Jesus instead of ourselves. We're motivated to see lives transformed by the power of the Spirit knowing that Jesus is their only hope. And lastly, John was called, and we are called to compare the way for him. It's the repeat in that verse. He says, You yourselves know how funny I told you, I'm not the Messiah, I'm only here to compare the way to him. John's mission was to prepare people for the ministry of Jesus when he came, right? There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Even that, that phrase where he says, There's the Lamb of God. John was making a declaration because remember the Old Testament system, they killed animals for the sacrifice, you know, for, for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. And that old, that old law, because of sin, something had to die, and that, that old law was set up as a type and shadow. It was incomplete, though. Because these animals would be killed and these lambs would be sacrificed and Jesus would come on the scene and John says that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so that would have been kind of almost a confusing statement. What, what is he talking about, Lamb of God? We have to kill them. Yes, what he's going to do for us. He will die. He will be the once and for all Lamb of God who will take away the sins of this world. There he is, the Lamb of God. And John was called to prepare people for his ministry. So he's preaching and getting people ready for Jesus. And we have called Jesus to have the same to prepare people for the coming of Jesus, right? We are here, the church, the vision, the mission of the church is to prepare people, to prepare ourselves, and then to prepare others to meet the Lord when He returns. And that can happen one, one of two ways. Because either, either we're going to die from this world and, and, and we will all die. If the Lord cares and He doesn't return for some time, we are all going to face that place of death. We will come to the end of our life. We will take our final breath. And then our spirit and our soul will go before the Lord. I mean, it's all over Scripture that we will go before the Lord. The real us. This fleshy stuff is not the real us. But there's the reality that's coming. Either we will die from this world or we will stand before God. And the Bible tells us, and we're told, we will stand before God. Or he will return again. And he said he's coming back. Remember when Jesus went up 
in Acts, the, the angel said to his followers, it says, why do you gaze up into heaven? This same Jesus, who you saw go, he's going to come back in like men. He will return. Now, when, that, when that's going to happen, I don't know. I mean, you know, they've been preaching end time stuff until when Paul was preaching that they were in the end time. And here we are 2,000 years later. It hasn't happened yet, so we just have to get one way or the other. He's going to return or we're going to die from this world. And our job is to prepare people to meet him when, he, when they die or he return. Same job, promoting him, proclaiming him what he has done through us, to proclaim him with our words and our actions, to promote him through a lifestyle of worship. Proclaiming that he is who he said he is, that he's the savior of the world, that he's the only savior, the only way to salvation, he's the only hope that this world has. That he died for our sins, that he rose again, that he is a life transformer, a life changer. He is the light of the world, he is the bread of life, he is the river of living water, he is the one who can set us free from sin and bondage, and he is the true source of life. Our job is to proclaim him, to promote him, and to prepare people for him. And we're also called, like John, in this life, not to be offended by him. You know that, that Jesus said that about John. It's an interesting end to John's life. And I've shared this before, but it's really tragic how John died and how he went down. You read it and you're like, oh, it's just such a heartbreaking story, but there was something even behind why that happened the way it happened. John was preaching. Herod was basically having an affair with his brother's wife, and John called him out and said, this is not right. So they put John in prison. Herod kind of liked him, um, was a little bit afraid of kind of him being a prophet. The, the, the woman Herodias, she brings her daughter in to do a, a dance and please the king. And the, the king says, what do you want? You please me, what do you want? And then she goes and listens to her mom, and the mom whispers, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And they said, do it, and he was executed. But he was being held in prison. And while he was being held in prison before that time, he is, he is, he's, he's in a hard place. And I want this to be encouragement to you today. He was in a hard place circumstantially. He was in prison. He had proclaimed Jesus, Jesus was. He was promoting Jesus. He was preparing the way for Jesus. And now here he is in prison. And he's struggling because of his circumstances. Anybody been there? You've been in circumstances that you struggled and you're like, God, I man, I'm serving you, and it just feels like I've in such a hard place. What is going on? Where where are you? And John was there. He had those questions that things aren't working out like he thought they might or could. Look at Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his all disciples in the end, just before him, that, um, he had been talking to his disciples, but he went out to speak in Christian towns throughout the region. So Jesus' ministry begins, right? John compares the way Jesus' public ministry begins. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things he saw doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, listen to this, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? That's a hard I mean, think about it. He has said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's been promoting him, proclaiming him, right? And now he's in prison, and he sends his disciples and says, are you the one, or should we be looking for someone else? He knew he was the one, right? 
He had had an experience with Christ. There's the Lamb of God. He's saying He's the light of the world. He's greater. He comes from the Father. He comes from heaven. We are earthly. He comes from He's a gift from the Father who's the light of the world. And now He's in prison and He's saying, wait a second. Are you sure you're the one? Because He's struggling. Here's what Jesus says. Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is increased to the poor. In other words, the Messiah is on the scene. And he added this, God blesses those who do not fall away or are not offended because of you. God blesses you when you're not offended because there's an opportunity for us. And I tell you, in this life, there's going to be opportunities to be offended with Jesus. When things aren't working out like you thought they would or should, you've been hurt, you've been offended by someone, you've been praying for something that didn't, and the answer of the prayer has not gone the way you thought it would go. You know what John's thinking? You're my cousin. I proclaimed you if you're the Messiah. Get me out of here, right? Rescue me. Get me out of prison. Break me out of this joint. I still have more life. I, I still have more to give. I, I can still do more. And Jesus said, Blessed are those who are not offended because of me. So John was struggling. But that didn't mean that because of the struggle that he was disqualified and and I'm sure that when his disciples said, we don't have the report, but when his disciples they said, John, you, you know he's the Messiah. And his authority is unquestionable. He's been I mean, teaching the good news. He's been opening blind eyes. He's been doing all of this stuff. And he is, he is who you said he was. But Jesus, he wanted us to tell you this. Bless our view if you're not offended by him. Don't be offended, John. And so Jesus didn't go busting out of jail, and then he lost his head in a very weird kind of... And remember this whole paradox of the kingdom. Even the cross was a paradox. It looked like the greatest defeat, yet it was the greatest victory. John's life wasn't wasted even the icky way he died. He, his name would be proclaimed as the great father. This is what Jesus said about him. Because after that, he turns and he said, what did you guys expect to see? He's talking about John. What did you guys expect to see? Because I tell you, among those born of women, there was not, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom is greater than he is. That's what Jesus said. John accomplished his mission. He said, yet those who were in the kingdom, talking about us that would come after the new covenant, Jesus would die and raise we're greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because John the Baptist prepared people for the earthly ministry of Jesus. We get to prepare people for eternity with Jesus. That's our job. That's our mission. That's the vision of the church is to proclaim Him, promote Him, prepare the way that people would see Him and be ready to spend eternity with Him because this life is short. And we will all stand before Him on that day. And we live to proclaim Him and to prepare people and get people ready to meet him. And so we are called the great greater in the kingdom. I share this with the guys on Wednesday night. But Paul wrote, writes in Galatians 6. Remember, he says, whatever you read, you will sow. But then he says, don't get weary and well-doing. Keep going. 
don't get weary and well done. Don't don't lose hope. Don't give up when there's times when it's hard and you can be offended by Christ and what He's doing. And you have more questions than you have answers. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Love Him, serve Him, and don't give up because He said in due time there will be a harvest. But we may not see the harvest in this life, but we will see a harvest in you if you don't give up. Keep fighting the fight. Don't fall away. Don't get offended with Jesus. If the prayers are not being answered, if things in life or if circumstances are not getting easier, if your candidate doesn't win the election, that's the truth. That we can live in great hope of saying that He is who He said He was. He's alive. He's coming again, or I'm going to see Him one day. And we live to proclaim and promote Him and to prepare the way for Him. It will be worth it. Don't lose hope. We're going to end with communion. And again, the way we do that, uh, we have open communion here at, at Community Bible. Um, what we ask is that if, if Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, obviously, if you're not a believer, we would not encourage you to take communion.